0: That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. You're listening to the Irish Times
1: Inside Politics podcast.
2: Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Politics Podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. The Citizens' Assembly is currently in the midst of considering issues around the Eighth Amendment to the Constitution, which prohibits abortion unless there is a threat to the life of the woman. It is expected that the Assembly will deliver a report and recommendations to the Oireachtas by the end of the summer, and it's also widely believed that this process will ultimately lead to a referendum proposing the removal of that amendment from the Constitution. Meanwhile, grassroots campaigns, actions and demonstrations. Continue on both the pro and anti repeal sides of this debate, all against the backdrop of several opinion polls which seem to indicate that popular opinion on access to abortion has shifted substantially since the amendment was introduced in the early 1980s, with repeal favoured by well over two thirds of the electorate. But what is the roadmap likely to be over the next year from the point of view of those in favour of repeal? Is that apparent majority as stable as it appears, or is there a centre ground that might shift over the course of a campaign? We asked three prominent pro-repeal figures to join us to discuss these issues and more. Kate O'Connell is a Fine Gael TD for Dublin Bay South. Colm McGorman is Director of Amnesty Ireland. And Alva Smith is Convener of Coalition to Repeal the Eighth Amendment. And I asked Alva first how she thought events were going to unfold.
1: Well, first of all, I think um, so much will depend on the kind of recommendation or set of recommendations that comes from the Citizens' Assembly, which is expected in the month of June. And clearly, from from my perspective and that of the Coalition to repeal the Eighth Amendment, we're hoping for a very clear recommendation that the Eighth Amendment be repealed and nothing inserted in the Constitution and a call to government, therefore, to go ahead and call a referendum. However, it will be referred to an irithist committee after that and one of the difficulties there is that as far as I know um, uh, Kate O'Connell may have some some other information, we don't yet know if a special committee is going to be set up or if it will go to an existing committee and perhaps more importantly from an activist point of view and an organising point of view, we don't have a time frame on uh, when that committee will be required to make its report back to to government. So um, I I think that that's a really important uh, issue for us, is to have that sense of uh, a time frame, because certainly to my mind and from where I'm at, um, a government can't go on indefinitely postponing, grasping this particular issue and holding a referendum. So I think that over the next 12 months, we want to be very clear Um, that a referendum is going to be called at such and such a time. There may not be a precise date, but we certainly do need to know um, over the coming with, say, nine months that a referendum is going to be called and, and to give us a clear sight of, of when that will be. And, I mean, I see uh, the movement every day on the ground growing and becoming stronger. And perhaps even more interestingly and more importantly, I think it's becoming more diverse. So it's not just growing more of the same kind of people all the time. It's growing out And we have a mapping exercise around the country at the moment. And there are already a couple of dozen um, activist groups really dotted all around Ireland. So it's a really very, very interesting scenario. And this is clearly an issue which, however much some people in government might wish this to happen, it is not going to disappear. It is going to grow stronger. And in a way the more it is thwarted, the stronger it becomes.
2: And it would be interesting to see, Colin, can I go, go to you on mm-hmm. that and, and say that the process which we're in at the moment, the process of the Citizens' Assembly followed by consideration by, within the Oireachtas, uh, has been criticised from various quarters by some as a, as a long-fingering exercise to avoid making a, a hard and fast decision, uh, by others on the, uh, on the retain the eighth side as being a fate accompli mechanism in order to deliver what they what they see as a, something which they they do not wish to have which is the referendum um but given that is the reality in which we're operating and accepting um from the point of view of uh, people in favor of repeal the eighth alva's position on on the referendum how how likely do you think it is that we can unfold to a point where there would be a referendum in in 2018 and if that is so what strategic building blocks would need to be put in place by Repeal the Eighth activists?
0: Well, first of all, on the Assembly, I mean, I can see politically why government would put in place an Assembly. And I don't mean necessarily purely from a cynical point of view politically. Politically, I can see that, that from a government perspective and indeed from a broad party political perspective, they might be interested in a process in which a conversation happens that breaks down and, and that examines the issues that might build more support. Uh, for an outcome that should eventually be a referendum. But let's also be clear about one thing. Uh, um, Ireland's laws and Ireland's constitution violates women's human rights. That can't be remedied until we repeal the Eighth Amendment. And uh, it's not just Amnesty International saying that. Ireland has been told that repeatedly by the United Nations, just as everybody knows, uh, uh, just last year in an individual case, the Mellet case, uh, Ireland was found to have subjected a woman from Ireland to cruel and human integrating treatment, one of the gravest human rights violations possible because of the Eighth Amendment and our laws on abortion. That can't be remedied until we repeal the Eighth Amendment. So regardless of, and I, I don't mean this as a rejection of the process but we, we, we need to be clear about this. Regardless of the outcome of this process or indeed the outcome of any Oireachtas committee's examination of the recommendation that comes out of the Citizens' Assembly, unless and until uh, the government put in place or any government puts in place a referendum, unless and until we collectively as a people repeal the 8th Amendment, we will continue to violate the human rights of women and girls. And
2: uh, there's an obvious question that arises from that. Do the Irish people have have a right to reject the repeal of the Eighth Amendment and therefore remain, remain in breach, as you see it? The Irish people have an absolute right to vote in a referendum in any way that
0: they will. But if the Irish people want to ensure that our laws and our constitution are in compliance with our international human rights obligations, first and foremost, but actually, more importantly, if we want to ensure that our, our laws and constitution are, are, are compassionate, are decent, are humane, that they respect women, respect their rights uh, and respect their autonomy, then we have to vote to repeal the Eighth Amendment. Uh, we have to vote to repeal the other Amendment. Look, I'm confident uh, that that's what will happen if, a ref- if and when a referendum is called. And I just want to see a referendum as soon as we can possibly get one. I think yes. actually an awful lot of people do, uh, including many people from within the political system, including many people within government. That's clear. So we need to get to that point. My understanding is that the Oroctus Committee will have six months to consider the recommendation of the Citizens' Assembly and then has to report to government and then a decision has to be made. And eventually, it'll uh, essentially be a decision for the entire Oroctus. And we are in a different political environment now. Actually, all of the parties in the Oroctus are going to have to make a decision about where they stand on this issue when it comes before uh, the Dahl
2: and then the Shannad. And, and that's a good thing, I think. Kate, you're the member of the Oroctus here. Do you share that analysis?
3: Yeah, pretty much. Um, I would agree with Colin there. The... he's right in that there's there's a six-month time frame for that select committee. And my understanding is that that would be established just before the Assembly completes its work, so there'll be no fallow period. Um, I would hope that those people that are chosen to be on that committee Will engage and read all of the documentation from the assembly because there's one of the issues, and I see that with maybe perhaps with the water to some extent at the minute, is that you can spend sometimes in some time in committee rehashing something that already was sorted out. So. I think it's very important that the the documentation that comes from the Assembly is is, um, summarised and that we don't go over the same ground over and over again. And then it's it's very clear so that when it gets to um, the Chamber um, and like that, all parties will have to take a stance on this. I would hope, and it, it looks like just from the, the soundings coming out of the Assembly, it looks like the overwhelming um, view is that a repeal of the 8th will be the recommendation out of it. Looking now whatever whatever format it takes but the general gist is going in that direction, that it will recommend some form of repeal. And like that I would completely agree with Alva I don't see any place personally for this in the Constitution. Um, I think it needs to be removed from the Constitution. And I also think it's really important and it's something that's missed out um, all the time. It's easy for us. We're talking about this all day, every day. But you know this idea that there's. Hundreds of pregnant women hiding behind gates somewhere, and that once it's repealed, that they're going to be released into the wild. <laughs> that pregnancy is is, is a, a, a fluid thing; it, it continues, and people make their own arrangements while while they're waiting. And also that the protection of life during pregnancy, um, that was brought in in 2013, is still there. So if if there was if something was removed from the constitution, you know, that we make sure people are where there's not some void or vacuum. V-
2: well, and this well, is well, well, on exactly that point, because mm. a number of—I mean, there are there are some legal differences between between experts on this, but a, a number of people on the repeal of the 8th side, legal experts, have argued, as as you've just said, that you know this idea that that it's the wild west once mm. once the amendment disappears is. Is is not the case. And let's say if we were to accept that for a moment. uh, However, is it not true that from a political point of view, if any government were to bring a proposal to hold a referendum to repeal the 8th, it would have to indicate fairly clearly to the electorate what legislation it planned to introduce following that repeal?
3: I think that is important um, to get buy-in from the public in the sense that we could be working on the legislation that um, would That would slot in um, afterwards. But I think it's very important to make sure that people realise that there is a a period in between um, the repeal of the 8th and the enactment of certain legislation that people are aware that it's not sort of free for all. And also first the Wild West, this assumes that, that there's all these women out there dying to have abortions. That is not the case. People are caught in difficult situations every day. They make their arrangements and what I'm trying to do and what I think the other members of the panel are trying to do here is trying to Treat our the citizens of our country um, w- with decency and with compassion, and that we won't. We'll never have the words cruel, inhumane, and degrading said about the way we treat any citizen in this country. But
2: if, for the purposes of this discussion, Alva accept that point, because this is a discussion about uh, about about people who are essentially on the on the same side, the pragmatic realities of a government feeling that it will need to indicate the nature of the legislation which it proposes to introduce following the repeal of the Eighth Amendment. Is that not a point where... And we've seen this with previous you know, referenda and the referendums in the past. Is that not a point where... The real nitty gritty of of the of the argument really starts as to what the legislation will be, even though the vote itself is on the issue of repeal.
1: Well, I, I mean, I think I agree with Colum though that that vote is absolutely crucial um, because we really can't do anything at all with the Eighth Amendment still in the Constitution. And I certainly would be extremely reluctant, or it would be great misgivings that I would envisage any situation where there was anything else being put into the Constitution because we've discovered time after time that this this way. Matters lies. So, um, but I, 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 do think that the the nub of the debate and the core of the debate will probably uh, is most likely to focus on what will come afterwards. And I think that that is still a debate which is to be had, so to speak, because at the moment we're still. Um, working with people, bringing people along to recognise that the Eighth Amendment has to go and why and there are still many people around the country, let's be very honest about it who really only have a very hazy notion and in fact the Red Sea poll which Amnesty um, conducted last March actually demonstrated that very clearly in relation to criminalisation that a lot of people simply had no idea that it was a criminal offence so that there is a lot of work of education, awareness Raising, of talking with people, of breaking down fears and reservations before I think that we can have a realistic conversation about what it is that's required legislatively. And um, my concern and anxiety, and I'm sure it's it's shared by, by many people, is that there will be a tendency or a desire on the part of government to rush into making legislative proposals without actually considering the fundamental question, which is, What do women need? Women are going to the UK at the moment. Uh, for abortions. Women are taking the abortion pill here Here in Ireland. A criminal offence, but they are nonetheless doing it. And the question needs to be asked, how do we respond to the reality of abortion in women's lives in this country? Not how little can we get away with legislatively? And that I think is really where there is going to be uh, attention a potential problem, in the Col- discussion. Col- I mean, the,
2: the, the, the Red Sea poll, which was commissioned by you, and, and, and Amnesty shows a, a Substantial majority in favour of repeal the eighth. It's fair to say, but it also shows quite a lot of complexity, and as I've suggest, perhaps some confusion as well on the kind of on the, on the on the current legal situation. And in any electoral contest, which a referendum is, isn't that really where the the argument is won and the battle is fought? Probably the grey area, the fifty percent of the population who who may you know going one way or another depending on the detail of of the debate as it as no, it, we as it goes we, sh- on.
0: we shouldn't be surprised that there's uh, that, that there are questions and concerns that people have i'm certainly not i don't think anybody around this table not would be this are. is a this is a complex issue healthcare uh, uh, healthcare ethics questions around around autonomy and rights are very often complex issues. And there are conversations that we have to have. It's why I do think, actually, a really deep, considered, engaged conversation about the kind of legal framework that would follow from the Repeal of the Eighth Amendment is essential, not just because that helps politically. To be frank, I'm less interested in that, even though pragmatically I recognise that it's important. Uh, I'm I'm more interested in ensuring that whatever follows on from the Repeal of the Eighth Amendment serves women and serves human rights. And just like Alva... uh, As said out there, from our perspective, we're particularly concerned that when we approach this issue, we ground it in a conversation that's not about how much should we restrict access to healthcare, uh, um, rather than how do we provide a legal framework for abortion in this country that respects uh, women's human rights, women's health, and that's grounded in that concern and that balances all of the other issues against that and there is a balancing to be done it's completely understandable and appropriate that people have questions and that people have concerns and it's not it's not about we need to engage with and address those concerns you know um, from this side of the table mm-hmm. but rather that we need to come together collectively and understand that there are there are complex I, I, and nuanced I positions that, but, but I, on but on just on just on the question of the degree of, of, of confusion that might exist. Actually, we've now done three rounds of very in-depth polling uh, on this issue. And, and it's been remarkable what we've learned. We've learned that people are very clear about the circumstances in which they believe abortion should be available. Yes, people are confused about the nature of Irish law and what's provided for. They're confused about the Eighth Amendment and what it means. But there is very little confusion about the kind of framework that people would like to see, the grounds upon which they would like to see access to abortion in Ireland. And it's very significantly expanded uh, beyond the the, the current provision. And that support is reflected across all demographics. Young, old, urban, rural, and all socioeconomic groups. So do you think it's a done deal? No, I don't think it's a done deal. Uh, uh, And what might prevent it from being done? Well, I think if we don't do the work, and I I don't mean on this side of the debate, I mean, if collectively as a society, as a political system, if the media don't do their jobs, if advocates on either side of the debate don't do their jobs, if we as citizens don't engage in the conversation, uh, then I don't think it's a done deal and we won't get it right. But I've confidence in... The, the decency, the common sense, the generosity, the values of Irish people, that if we, if we have the conversation we need to have, we will come to an appropriate uh, uh, outcome, an appropriate decision. I think that will be the repeal of the Eighth Amendment.
1: Just, just a, a little addendum to that there. I mean, I agree um, very definitely with what Colin is saying there. But some um, qualitative research, focus group research that we've been doing has um indicated to us that in fact people's greatest fear is of having to get involved in conversations about the issue because they feel it is going to be divisive that they'll get scorched that they'll get burned and this you know perhaps not surprisingly is also you know it's true of women and it is particularly true of men who feel uh, that this and yet This is such an important issue for us as a country, as a society. Of course, abortion is something which affects us as women in our bodies most directly. But it's also this whole debate is very much about the degree of openness, the degree of equality. I'm not even sure that you can have a degree of equality. You either have it or you don't. Uh, How we value our human rights, how we value our all the people who live here. So, you know, it is a really important issue. And yet people are afraid. They're worried. And I think that that is because, generally speaking, discussions about the issue are set up as bun fights. And I I think we have to find, all of us, including the media, a much better way of, of handling this. Well,
2: accepting all that, Kate... Um, a lot of people have drawn comparisons with the playbook, if you, if I can use that term, that was deployed during the marriage equality referendum, and clearly both Alva and Colin were prominently involved in 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 that as well. And but there are fundamental differences between the kind of uh, arguments, the kind of debates that will happen in this. And Alva's referred to one of them there, and one is that it's it's more difficult to talk about. Uh, it's more. Difficult, perhaps, to frame it in the way that the winning side in the last referendum phrased marriage equality as a positive, joyous um, thing. This is a more this is a more difficult, uh, more you know, more un- more unpleasant for many people, kind of a subject to discuss at all. So, how um, I suppose how relevant is it to look at the strategies that were deployed in the marriage referendum? Apart from anything else, there's quite likely to be a lot more prominent people. Vote, vote, uh, are arguing in favour of, of retaining this particular amendment, isn't it? They?
3: Yeah, they're completely different, um, I suppose, questions. But what I would say is They're not that relevant we'll, at all. No, no, I think there is, there is things that we can learn from the marriage equality referendum, such as people in Ireland like to hear stories of... of, of it's unfortunate, but they do like to hear real-life stories... About real people. About real people and the effects... The actual law has had on their lives, particularly people who they know, the the personal. And then, I suppose, what I would always, and I'd be saying this, I suppose, as as a healthcare professional, you never know what's going on behind closed doors, and you you never know what's going on, you know, behind the makeup or behind, you know, the screen that people put up. Um, So there is a value in that. Um, I suppose there's also a value in the fact treating everybody equally. I think equality is very important here. That um, women have a right to bodily autonomy, and, and I would firmly. Believe in that. Now, when it comes to the legislation that comes after, it's very easy, and I, I, I'm quite critical of politicians that say, "Oh, it's we, we, yeah, we we'll repeal the Eighth, and it'll only be available, abortion will only only be available in rape, incest, and fatal, fatal abnormality." Now, I see that as a complete cop out, and as members of my own party have said that, I see that as a complete cop out because if you work it out to its natural conclusion. Well, I mean, did anyone ever think that the consequences of previous laws would have a situation where you'd have a woman 16 weeks pregnant been kept alive Somewhere down the country, while she had an unviable um, child um, gestating, or did we ever think? Did we ever consider the fact that you might have a lady who was a, had refugee status in this country, and therefore she wouldn't have the right to travel because she couldn't she couldn't a have the means, perhaps, and she couldn't leave the country either, um, and retain her status here. So it's very important when we're framing any legislation that we work out, I suppose, the consequences of that legislation. So, and I'm very I'm always banging on about this, but in the case of rape, the vast majority of rapes aren't reported. So picture the scene. If a woman is raped, she becomes pregnant. She's perhaps not capable of going to the guards or reporting it. Time passes, she becomes more pregnant and more pregnant. Who is going to sit and judge should she deserve an abortion? Also, are we going, and I've said this before, are we going to have a questionnaire? And is it literally going to be, were you raped? Yes. Were you raped by a family member? I mean, are we actually going to subject our women to questionnaires like that? And I think that any politician that says that fatal, fetal, rape and incest, that's fine. I think they haven't studied it and and thought about the consequences on the women of this country and on the families of this country. Like I can imagine if I was raped on the way home from work tonight, you know, how would I deal with it? Probably even if the 8th was repealed in this country and if I had to go in and fill out a form to explain my situation, I think it would be handier just to get on the plane and go to the UK. And therefore, by doing that, the whole point of this mm. is defunct. If, do, do you know what I'm saying? that it's.
2: There are other significant issues which are bound to arise in the course of this debate, which are, for example people who conscientiously do in the medical profession who conscientiously do not want do want to be any part of of, of this treatment for example that's been an issue in, in other countries the question of late term abortions has been a, has been an issue in many countries and presumably column, all those need to be teased out as well
0: Yeah of, of course they do but first of all just to go back to the marriage referendum I think first of all we need to be cautious there's nothing like success for everybody to suddenly start reinventing the story of what might have actually happened and there's an awful lot of assumptions being made about that campaign you know you reference a playbook I'm not sure to what degree well, there was a playbook, a playbook per book. se.
2: People people worked very strategy. hard in a very disciplined way to deliver a months of campaign. I remember hearing and in, um, speaking very eloquently, to, to be fair to sure. as always, afterwards about you know about some of the kind of building blocks which were put in place and some of the decisions that were made in but terms of But they weren't put in strategy. place a
1: year and a half beforehand, and I can they certainly tell They were put in place that, in, in, the, in the months uh, before you know the <laughs> referendum, and
2: then and then there was
0: huge discipline. But as I say, you know, success sometimes uh, results in a lot of reinvention of, of how things work. So we need to be careful about how we, how we look to that particular referendum. I mean, in my view, some of the questions are the same. I mean, for me, what mm-hmm. was exciting and people might be surprised to hear me say this as a gay man, but what was particularly exciting who's married to, somebody, to another man, but what was particularly exciting about that referendum wasn't the question per se that we were being asked, but rather it was the bigger question, which for me was what kind of country are we? Yes, what exactly. kind of republic are we? What kind of society are we? I think... The question on the Eighth Amendment is exactly the same question. What do we stand for? What do we believe? How do we want to legislate for how we care for and provide for each other? How do we want to support each other at times of challenge or at times of great joy? And yeah. uh, um, How will we do all of that? So I actually think this referendum can be bold. It can be proud. It is about women. It's about women's rights, uh, which is something that we in Ireland really need to get to grips with. And we don't have to look very far into our distant past. As a matter of fact, we only have to look to our very current present to understand the implication of that amendment and what it's doing to women in Ireland today. So we need to reject, I think, that kind of brutality and that appalling attitude towards women. And we
2: can have a very proud, uh, uh, bold, and I mean truly bold uh, uh, campaign. Well, didn't, didn't the- isn't the reality that referendums are blunt instruments and they very often, you know, are not, not the best way of doing politics and we've seen that either or binary choices are very often in electoral politics and in referendums are a pretty crude measure and, you know, don't always, you know, well, they, what, what, they very often become about other things. That and now things I'm going to counter what, to what I just said about. about not looking too much at the
0: marriage referendum. <laughs> this is exactly what people said about the marriage referendum, okay? So, you know, people said this would be very divisive, this would be very toxic, mm. this would be very vitriolic, and it was. And by the way, I wouldn't underplay how difficult that process was for a great many people. I mean, you had people going around knocking on the doors of their neighbours, coming out to their neighbours and asking for them to respect their rights, to respect their relationships, to value their relationships. That was was deeply humiliating and challenging uh, and distressing at times for people. Now, this, again... is is another very, very sensitive issue. On on the question of legislation, I, I would absolutely agree with Kate that we have to be very careful about approaching this from a restrictive space rather than from a space that seeks to ensure that we provide a legal framework that sets out to achieve what we want to achieve. That is the respect of women's rights, ensuring that women can access health care uh, appropriately and properly. And if the state legislates, for instance, just for minimum grounds in the way that Kate just described,
2: it's very unlikely in the Irish context that that will deliver access on those grounds. However, one of the arguments that will be made, and I have no doubt of this, um, they, they can come after me and, and criticise me if they want, from the, from the retain the eighth side, will be that actually the, the main impetus behind the Eighth Amendment in the first place back in the early 80s was not to uh, prevent the legislature at the time of introducing abortion that wasn't seen as being on the on the political agenda. It was a reaction to Rovers. what people yeah. on that side of the, of the argument would have characterized as uh, judicial activism, the Roe versus the Roe versus mm. Wade model. And I have no doubt that there will be people when we engage in this full on debate who will say that Amnesty's per, uh, position that this is a that is a universal human right and there are other rights that flow from that mean that regardless of what the Araktes uh, does once the Eighth Amendment is removed. There will be a there will be a creeping mission of,
0: of, of, of well that's patent know. that's patent nonsense
2: mm. because actually the Arachus will decide what
0: laws are put in place in Ireland and the Arachus will frame them and you know in many ways to my regret we have a dualist system here where Ireland can sign up mm. to international treaties that place obligations on us but then we can legislate in a way that doesn't respect those obligations. Well, the failed we to transpos- decide for, for many years, years yeah. in relation to Absolutely. the,
2: the, the post Eighth Amendment situation yeah. and in fact it was the courts the courts that forced. But, them that, we, but that's state, but, it, but that's but yeah. that's why we need important. a legal framework now and I don't think people. tolerate not having one.
1: And it makes it all the more important for us not to be thinking in the really very traditional, old-fashioned terms of our history in relation to abortion of exception based law because we know that that simply doesn't work. It's not effective. The reality is that the vast majority of abortions or reasons why women go to Britain for abortion or why they take the abortion pill here in Ireland is not because of a fatal foetal anomaly. It's not because of rape and it's not because of incest. It's because for a whole diversity of reasons, they do not wish to continue with their pregnancy. So, you know, we have to have a law which actually grasps and understands that and which legislates for the provision of services within those terms. And if we end up with highly restrictive exception based, you know, well, we don't really permit uh, abortion except when a woman's life is in danger, except when she has been raped. We will not actually, in any sense, resolve that problem, Eighth it, isn't Amendment this, isn't or this not. This where
2: a lot of the political debate is, li- is likely to centre on. I mean, our own political editor, Padley, he wrote a piece only a, a few weeks ago, and his assessment of it, um, based upon various opinion polls that we and other people have done, is that is that where the Irish electorate is currently is that it, it, uh, it will vote, would vote in favour of a repeal of the Eighth Amendment, but wants to see in place um, abortion services which are, in the European context, more towards the Conservative rather than the Liberal. Well, with of respect
1: of to Pat Leahy, he may have available. a crystal ball that is not available to the rest of us because, I mean, I think what we're actually seeing is that, yes, people want more information, they want more conversation, they want to talk about it, but they want to be able to talk about it without being criticised. They want to be able to talk about it in a way which enables them to make an informed decision. And I think Kate's point about hearing personal experience of abortion is important, although I would also have a caveat there because it is asking women to do Mm -hmm. something which is somewhat difficult. But I think what we do know is that people, there is a majority which wants Um, the eighth to be repealed, and it's a very large majority. It's come up time and time again, again in the Ipsos Mori poll in October last, and so on and so forth. And people want to actually understand what kind of law will work best. I don't think that Irish people are in the least bit interested in having a law put in place, which one year later ends up with yet another problem in the courts. Not just a problem, but perhaps a tragic case, heaven forbid. So that that sense of it being important for us to understand that we need to provide services which actually work for women, which meet their needs, which serve those needs, that is... uh, a question, I think, which people in Ireland are genuinely interested in. Why? Because an awful lot of people in Ireland have an experience of supporting someone who has had an abortion or of hearing about someone who has had an abortion or of, of you know, it being within their immediate circle. These are not experiences which are beyond their ken.
2: But Kate, your position on this is pretty clear, but... Uh I imagine that you would have colleagues in the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party who would have different views, whether those were not in favour of the removal of the Eighth Amendment at all, or perhaps some of the more restrictive clauses which we've, we've, we've just been discussing there. That would be the case, wouldn't it?
3: Yeah, very much so. But like that, I think things have changed in recent years. It's become more normal to talk about abortion. Yeah. Um, it's 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 brought up regularly over coffee, where I think maybe four or five years ago, people were kind of allergic to it. I think it's it's quite a, a, a topical thing at the minute and people are, definitely people within my own party are engaging with me and asking me kind of questions about things, and I would be firing back at them, you know, well, at, at the minute, the protection of life during pregnancy, they say when it comes to term limits, there is actually no term limit when it comes to the protection of life during pregnancy, mm-hmm. which was brought in in 20 13 so you know to tease out so I think like that there are questions from all sides and the parliament I suppose represents the people out there so therefore people within the parliament are going to have very similar questions to the electorate well people and I say think that
2: elected politicians are behind the curve in terms of popular opinion on this
3: um, perhaps. I mean, it's very hard to quantify that. I don't make a sweeping well, statement on it. In terms
2: of their underestimating the extent to which the but electorate to has support, moved. Absolutely. You know? to
1: support Kate a little bit there, yeah. actually. That Ipsos Mori poll in October actually found that 75% of Vinegrail supporters are in favour of change and yeah. 67%, surprise, surprise, of Fianna Fáil supporters. So that in you know, the grassroots. Um, who are, after all, the electors of backbenchers. You say that
2: as if so. you expect Fianna Fáil to be the main bulwark of resistance.
1: Well, Fianna Fáil is, Fianna Fáil is the only party which has not, um, in any meaningful way, really recognised the importance of the issue. The, the one thing they've done is to say that in um, the case of a vote in the Dáil, they would they would give a free vote. Uh, whereas... Um, other parties are either actively supportive, there are four parties which actively support the repeal of the Eighth Amendment, and Finnegrail has put in place its. Uh, version of a process. But we'll uh, also
0: allow a free vote. Free vote. Which would, would also allow a free, yeah,
1: so. a free vote. But we can say that there has been recognition and acknowledgement within Fine Gael of, of the, the, the salience of the issue. That is not something they can avoid. Whereas Fianna Foyle are still, I think, um, they're still on a fence about it. The free vote w- would certainly indicate that. They haven't really grasped that nettle yet. I hope they will, by the way, and I think there are some signs that they will.
2: What about, um, I was reading Una Malali's column in the times uh yesterday um on on this subject and Una is a activist as well as a irish times columnist and she can speak for herself but there were some of them i found quite interesting and in that she seemed to be suggesting that there was a a critique hovering around of the campaign and the way it was being conducted so far that it was somehow being conducted wrong and i've seen some of this stuff on social media basically a suggestion that in some way there's some sort of I don't know, disarray in the ranks about strategy well, or well, tone or well, I think is a word that's used sometimes. Well, you know, disarray
0: in the ranks. Uh, I mean, it's a very diverse and a, and as Alva quite rightly pointed out, a broadening and growing movement of people who are concerned for change. But that's a pretty loose movement. Yes. And yes, there are partner organisations and lots of us are members of the coalition and then we're also partners with the coalition, separate to that in in, in a very visible uh, uh, campaign process. Um, so there are there are people with lots and lots of different views. But equally, Particularly, but there when seems the, to
2: be some sort of but, a debate going but on but there. There a, a few sparks
0: flying. But particularly yeah. when God, you're really looking for the gossip now, you, aren't you? <laughs> but I have, have to do. I'll, 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 I'll try and give you that <laughs> as well. But particularly when, from, from out, particularly <laughs> from when outside of the campaign process, you keep getting this picking away at concepts like tone, for instance, like mm-hmm. the number of people from outside the process who want to, who want to, in particular, dictate to women how they should speak, what their views should be, whether or not it's appropriate or acceptable that they be angry in their demand for change. I mean, for heaven's sake, imagine saying to a group of people in the context of clear findings that laws cause grave violation of their rights, that every woman in this country knows that in certain circumstances this state would subject her to cruel and human and degrading treatment. When you listen to those stories, and then we have commentators and others who want to tell women that they should be nice
2: about asking well, for change, well, what, they shouldn't demand well, it. They shouldn't be shrill. Said, I've talked to a couple of people, and I'll, I'll put it here for for what it's worth. And great mm. sparks, uh, so so be it. I mean, is essentially that uh, the movement to repeal the Eighth forms part of a of, of a of a broader uh, new wave of feminism. Very active, mm. uh, very interesting, mm. uh, very intellectually stimulating in lots of ways. Um, it. Therefore, you're you're bound to get that reaction against anybody telling people to tone down or pipe down. I think for obvious reasons, because of the because of the the politics that are involved. But there is to go back to the appropriate or not to, to go back to the the marriage referendum uh, strategy. There was a suggestion at that point that there was some kind of tone well, adjustment well, that went on in well, relation to that, say, and that was one of the things that suggests to proper. Yes, there was yeah. very
1: disciplined messaging. There's absolutely no doubt about it in the um, yes equality referendum campaign.
2: Anger but, may be justified, but, but is just, anger always the just, best strategy in the course of the Just a moment. A campaign? I
1: mean, that was in the six weeks prior hmm. to the actual referendum okay. that that came about. And of course, at that moment, you know, six weeks before the referendum, everybody's mind gets focused on the goal, which is to win that referendum and everybody comes together. And it is, of course, very disciplined. But in the lead up to a campaign, um, particularly um, when there is a very broad and growing social movement like there is at the present time in Ireland, which I think is also very healthy for our whole political system, by the way, um, that I think that it's very important that people be able to express their views in a whole variety of different ways That notwithstanding, I think it is quite marked that there is a very considerable focus and the shrillness of tone that I think that's what you're possibly referring to there. I have never dream
2: of using the word shrillness.
1: (laughs) The shrillness of tone, as it has been uh, described, (laughs) has certainly come from those who I think are not. Particularly pro-feminist or alternatively who had a very specific and perhaps um, particular experience of the S-Equality campaign. So that while the S-Equality campaign, I think, opened up the possibility for us in Ireland to say, look, we have minds, we think for ourselves, we don't do what either our politicians or any other authoritative institutions think they can tell us to do. We make up our own minds about the kind of country that we want to be living in and raising our kids in and our grandkids and so on and so forth. And that is a tremendous boost for this campaign now because Irish people, we demonstrated that to ourselves. And I think that that, you know, is perhaps... But it became only very disciplined at the very, very, very end. And I think that what we're looking at now in Ireland is people coming to the realisation that this is one of those position issues for a country where you actually say we're being called upon to define the kinds of values that are important to us and who it is we value and how we value them, how we look after people who live here, how we how we meet their, their real needs and... Uh, I I always feel this so strongly about abortion that, you know, we do abandon women. We really abandon them at the time when what they need is a bit of care, compassion, support, practical help and to be let get on with it. And I don't think that people in this country any longer after that old period want to do that. There is a third dimension to it. This like The Yes Equality referendum is a movement in which young people really do call a lot of the shots. And it's wonderful to see that level of engagement. And of course, they're raising their their voices and putting their heads above the parapet. They don't have the experience of somebody like Column or me since 1983 of knowing when to pull it back in a little bit. I love that. I think it's about them saying we have views, ideas passions. We want to express those. We're part of the public discourse. And in I personally would not be for, you know, cracking, even if I could, which I can't, although I might know how, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't be for cracking a whip and saying, now you can all keep quiet now. It's not, that's not the moment I, I we're I suppose, in.
2: Kate, Kate, listening to all that, the, the counter that strikes me on this is that Previous experiences of this debate in the public sphere in Ireland over the last thirty five years have, be- have been have been very fraught at times. And when we look at modern political environment not just in Ireland but further afield, the way in which these debates are played out, for example in, in social media um, are extremely harsh at times and not necessarily conducive at all to a kind of a, a, a constructive or civil debate and there are people there are many people who, strong, who who listening to this conversation would say you have not talked about the rights of the, of the unborn and that is their position and those people will be making their position very clear over the course of the debate and the reality is they'll probably also be better financed and they'll have more public figures speaking on their behalves um, well they, uh, do you- do you disagree Probably. that there'll be, be more elected politicians who will be no. arguing to retain no, the 8th than, than in the last referendum? So, too. I, I, so there were only, what, three or four members I, I, of, the the, of, of the Oireachtas in, in the, the last, referendum. last referendum? I think there, be oh, there will yeah. be a, yeah. a you know, yeah. Yeah. substantially think, yeah, larger yeah. number of elected reps. I think
3: there will be more elected reps coming out um, yeah. on the side of repeal, yeah. my view at this point. Um... At this stage, I think we're in conversation mode. Mm. We're in, you know, letting everybody have their view from all, from people who want free, safe, legal abortion to people who want restricted abortion, all on the one side, pro-choice side, um, but. That I don't have, see any reason to risk, to anyone to well, be cracking whips or restricting no, anything. No, do you know no I, mean? I don't think anybody's suggesting No, but you know, you know, no, but I, you know whips, I have um, to I think say we will I, unite. Sorry, I, I believe sorry. that you know, there's there's many of us inside, and from various like the likes of myself and perhaps Ruth Carpenter will never agree on anything economic. Maybe we will someday, and it'll be a great day. But you know, we probably won't. But we would be very much on the same page on this issue. And, you know, Sinn Féin have set out their stall on it. But I think once we get to when the Citizens' Assembly and the six-month committee, that committee will be divisive. But I think it will unite us um, on one side. And I think the, the, the coalition to repeal the 8th has a purpose here in bringing the likes of myself and other people, perhaps from the, the economic left side of the argument, to, to come together and to, to unite on this. And I don't have any fears um, regarding that. I'm not sitting at home and not going, well, it's impossible to work with that crowd. I really am not yeah. saying that. I'm very positive about it. And I don't, I don't think, I suppose, party politics is going to get in the way of the bigger picture here which is ultimately um, to have fit for purpose laws that uh, treat our women with respect um, and, with, with, and uh, a, a, on an equal footing. A, a brief footing. last
2: word if you wouldn't mind on yeah,
3: I mean,
0: this. Look, work, working together is always challenging. You know, we all hold different views, and on complex issues, uh, we we can all hold nuanced differences in position that we often have to talk, talk out and even argue with, And that's okay. I think we need to do that as openly as possible. You made a point that at no point during this conversation have we talked, for instance, about prenatal interests about developing life. We absolutely need to have that conversation. That's a completely appropriate conversation for us to have. And I've never heard anybody. Uh, that that I take seriously in this conversation from a pro-choice or from a pro-repeal perspective that ignores the reality of developing life and that fails to recognise that terminating a pregnancy through abortion means bringing to an end developing life in the womb. Of course it does. So let's have a real, honest, engaged conversation about how and why that's both appropriate and necessary. And most importantly... You know, it's, it, let's not carve sides out in this thing that recognises that there are divergent views right across us. For example, and the final point I make, I promise you, is our data tells us that 5% of people in Ireland are opposed to abortion in all circumstances, even where the woman's life is at risk. And you would imagine that that's an extremely rigid, hardline position, which it certainly sounds like it is. However, half of those people would vote to repeal the Eighth Amendment because their objection is personal and they wouldn't impose it on other people. So let's not presume anything about anybody's position on any side of this debate when it comes down to their final decision in a ballot box.
2: That's right for you, Alan. Well,
1: uh, I absolutely believe that we are embarked on a process which is going to uh, lead to a referendum and I feel Within that there the next is... Two years? Oh, I would hope within the next 18 months, absolute max. And I think that it has huge momentum around the country. We are at the unstoppable point now, so it is definitely going to happen. Absolutely final last point. You know, I've always been told whenever I speak my mind as a woman, as a feminist, as a lesbian, as an activist, as all those, as a socialist, all those kinds of things, I've always been told that I was shrill and hysterical. So I see absolutely no reason to change my tone now, I can tell you that.
2: (laughs) On that jolly note, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much, uh, Kate, Callum, and Alvin. And that's it for this special edition of Inside Politics. Remember, you can read my news feature on this subject in this weekend's Irish Times. Thanks to our producer, Jennifer Ryan, and engineer JJ Vernon. And remember, you can mail me at hlinnehan at iristimes.com or you can find me easily on Twitter. And if you do enjoy this podcast, please do take a moment to rate, review, or even share it on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. But until the next time, for me, Hugh Linehan, thanks very much indeed for joining me.